0: Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think she just did a great job of taking that scripture and putting it into song for us this morning. Thank you, Sandra, for your ministry to us that way. We're going to, in just a moment, dismiss our children to their junior church And uh, they're taking out their missionary offering, too. We've got somebody back here with a plate. We're giving to the Shelbys this month a special gift, and you've been such a blessing this month in that way. Thank you, boys and girls, and probably some moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas having a part in that as well. So, boys and girls, you can be dismissed now. And uh, glad to have some many friends with us and guests, family members. And I want to just encourage you, in front of you, there should be a... An invitation for our Easter services this coming weekend, Friday night and, and Sunday as well, and we hope that you'll be with us for that. Take one of these with you when you leave. It would be great if when we left today there were no more of these Easter flyers left in the seatbacks. We'd like to make sure this is kind of the end of it. We've given out many, many, many of them, almost a thousand of them now, and so we just have a few left. And if you would take one with you today or take a couple, there's some empty seats up here where you can grab a few extras, and I think we have a few, few more in the back if you need them. We'd love to get all those out to as many people as possible. I don't talk about this all the time, but uh, just letting you know as well, our other big card in the, in the seat in front of you is our connection card. Maybe you have a prayer request, something we can pray for you about. Maybe you'd just like to get to know us about our church a little more, please let us um, give us any information you're comfortable sharing, or maybe you make a decision for the Lord and you'd like to share that with us today. And at the end of the service, when we take up the offering, we'd be happy to take those as well and be able to follow up and encourage you any way we can. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, it's Palm Sunday. And uh, the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, we think of His triumphal entry and all of that. And so we're going to take just a, a couple weeks Uh, pause in our study in the book of Acts and go back to the book of John in the Gospels, John chapter 12 this morning, and I want you to think with me this morning about some Palm Sunday paradoxes. You know what a paradox is? Yeah, I looked it up too, just to make sure. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. You ever see something or look at something in the world and you say, this doesn't really make sense. And yet the more you look at it, the more you study it, the more you realize this is very clear, it makes complete sense. That's a paradox, something that at face value doesn't seem to make sense or seems maybe even to be untrue. And yet the more you examine it, the more you realize how true It really is. And it's interesting to me as we see Christ as he's been doing his work and performing his miracles and then as he gets close to the cross, there are a number of paradoxical statements that he makes and situations that he's in. And yet the more we look at it, the clearer it becomes. But you know, in Jesus' day, there were many people who didn't understand him, didn't know why he was there. And in fact, they thought he came for a very different reason than for why he had actually come. Just like today, there are many people who know about Jesus, many religions that talk about him, many ideas about who he was and and what he did. But there's probably more misunderstanding than proper understanding about our Lord and Savior Jesus. Christ today. And so as we look at these Palm Sunday paradoxes this morning, I hope they will encourage you and challenge you to think on our Lord and Savior, to understand Him. My wife made a statement to me this morning. She said, you know, the Bible tells us we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with our mind, as well as our strength. And there are a lot of people, well, I love God, I, I just in my heart, I just love Him a lot. This morning, as we think about loving God with our heart, I want you to also love Him with your mind. So engage your mind with me this morning, think about it, and it will help you, I think, in your walk with the Lord this morning. If you're here today and you don't really know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll learn some about that as well today and be encouraged and helped, I believe. Well, let's look in John chapter 12, and beginning in verse 12, I'm going to read through verse 16 and follow along as I read out loud. The Bible says, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. You see the disciples here in verse 16 there kind of caught up in this paradox. They see the things happening, but it doesn't make sense to them. But later, it tells us here in verse 16, they remembered, and then they understood. So this morning, I want us to come to a place of understanding about these truths from God's Word. Because if we know the truth, Jesus said, the truth will set us free. So I want to encourage you with some truth from God's Word. But As we're catching up with Jesus here on his entry into Jerusalem, let's just go back a few days prior to these events. Jesus had just spent some time with some of his wonderful friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. But if you know the story, Jesus, when he first came to visit, was not visiting Lazarus. He was just visiting Mary and Martha because Lazarus had died. Lazarus died, they buried him, but before he died, while he was sick, his sisters had sent to Jesus and said, please come so you can heal our brother Lazarus, because we know Jesus has the power to heal sick people, right? But the Bible tells us that Jesus tarried, he waited, he delayed his coming for several days. That didn't make sense to his disciples. It didn't make sense to Mary and Martha. Why would Jesus, who has power to heal, not come and heal somebody who's sick? It's a paradox, isn't it? But later it made sense, didn't it? Because Jesus did wait. And when he came, he talked to both Mary and Martha, and they were very sad. Their brother had died. He was buried. In fact, the Bible tells he'd been in the ground for three days in, the, in that tomb where they would buried him. Jesus came. He asked to be brought to the place where Lazarus was buried in the tomb. And there was a group of people gathered around, some of the religious leaders, some of the friends and family. They were very upset. And Jesus, as he looked at all of them, the Bible, that two-word verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept as he saw all these people there as they were soaring over Lazarus. And then he said, ask for them to open up the tomb, to take the stone away from in front of the place where Lazarus was buried. And one of Lazarus' sisters said to Jesus, No, my Lord, he stinketh. The King James says it well there, right? He, He stinketh. Yeah, this is bad. He's been in the ground a long time. We don't want to open that grave back up. But Jesus had them open the grave, and then he said those amazing words, right? Lazarus, come forth. And here comes old Lazarus up out of the grave. He came back to life. He said, take the grave clothes off of him, right? And there Lazarus is now alive and well. Well, all these people around, they saw it. They, they were amazed by this. It was incredible to see. And so they began to tell their friends and family and neighbors all about what Jesus had done, how he'd brought this man who'd been dead and buried for three days, brought him back to life. For those of you that know the rest of the story, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there, isn't there? Because Jesus was soon to die and be buried. And spend three days in the grave. See, Jesus had power not just to raise somebody else to life. Jesus later was going to prove that he had power to bring himself back because he's God. So here's Jesus and his disciples. They've been with Lazarus, and Mary, and Martha. Now they're traveling back down to Jerusalem. And as they come walking in, the word spread. People are whispering, there, hey, that's the guy. That's the one. He's the one that brought Lazarus back to life. That's where we pick up the story, what we just read in verse 12, is all the people are excited and they begin to pick up palm branches. Those were kind of like the the political flags of the day. You know, everybody get excited and wave their palm branches back and forth and they're cheering and, and Jesus comes into Jerusalem and He's riding on the back of a donkey and People are cheering and they're crying out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? It means, Lord, save us now. They wanted to be saved. Save us now. Save us now. But you know what they were crying out for? They weren't crying out for salvation like we talk about it, trusting in Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven and to be saved and have eternal life. They wanted to be saved from the Romans. I mean, imagine if a foreign power came in and took over our country. and Imagine if they stationed soldiers all around our cities. It took away our our weapons, our ability to protect ourselves. They subjugated us, made us pay tribute to them. They could walk into any one of our houses at any time that they wanted and take people prisoner, throw them in jail. They didn't have to have proper trials and things. They, they literally could just do whatever they wanted. They were in complete control. And here this one Jesus, this man who had been able to feed 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, he, he had brought people back to life who had been dead and buried. Now Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Well, we see this sometimes through kind of modern-day Christian eyes, but you've got to put yourself in the place of those people that day, you, like them, would be crying out, hey, maybe this is the one to save us now. I mean, if he can feed people with almost no food, if he can bring people back to life who have died, if he can cause sick people to be healthy, if he can take lame people and make them able to walk and blind people and cause them to be able to see, this is the one, save us now. But that brings us to the first paradox, I would say, of Palm Sunday, is that Jesus entered as the triumphal king only to then be crucified. Why would a triumphant king who's riding in, why would he give himself up to be crucified? To understand this paradox, you really have to think about what made Jesus triumphant. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said during his ministry, he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was required for Jesus to be able to save that which was lost? Well, the Old Testament had been the example, had been teaching it for thousands of years. But the Bible is very clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. In order for Jesus to be triumphant, truly triumphant, it wasn't just about marching in and riding into Jerusalem. He was going to have to die to be the sacrifice for our sin. As Jesus was coming in, the people weren't so concerned about the spiritual, they were more excited about the political possibilities. We live in a world that way today as well. Most people care more about the political than the spiritual. For many, the first thing they check in the morning is the news to see what other bad thing has happened in the world but I would encourage you rather than starting your day with the news of this world to start your news day with news from the kingdom. God's word is the source of the best news in all the world. That we serve the king of kings and Lord of lords, that he's in control, that he's fulfilling his plan and he's given us his word to guide us and to teach us the truth. Jesus came to build a kingdom, yes, but a kingdom in our hearts and a kingdom that would bring uh, great blessing to the whole world Jesus didn't come to fulfill their political purposes he came to fulfill a spiritual purpose and it's interesting here in verse 15 it says when he found the young ass he sat there on as it is written fear not daughter of Zion Behold, thy King cometh, sitting on an ass's. Called the prophecy here was one that said, "Fear not." There was about to be a lot of change and upheaval. Jesus was about to die. Jesus knew that. All the people didn't understand that yet. Do you struggle with fear, with anxiety? That didn't come from God. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These people were about to have a lot to worry about. Sound familiar? Sounds pretty up-to-date, actually. We've had a lot that we could be worrying about this past year, and there's still a lot of people worried about a lot of things. And I'm not saying there's nothing that's concerning. There's plenty of problems to be concerned about. But if you're a follower of God, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because you know the one who has it all in control. Think about this. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He hasn't died yet. He, even his own disciples don't really appreciate the fact that he's about to lead them. He's about to die everybody's cheering, everybody's excited, save us now, save us now. Quite the paradox that the triumphant king, in order to be triumphant, is going to have to die. Going to have to die. We live in a world that is looking for answers in all kinds of places. The only answer is in the king who had to die. The answer to all of this world's problems are found in Jesus Christ. Fear not. You see, it is not the absence of problems, but rather it is the presence of God that is the key to a happy life. Following God doesn't mean you'll have no more problems, but it does mean that you don't have to be afraid because God is with you. Some people think, well, you know, I I came to church. I even put some money in the offering plate so God should take away all my problems. No, but God's promised now to be with you in your problem. You can't do good works to get rid of problems. Even doing good works doesn't mean that now all of a sudden I'm just going to be blessed and everything's going to be perfect and I'm going to be rich. Some of us aren't doing very many good works then. We're still waiting, right? Because that's not what it's about. You see, this life is just a vapor. It's just a breath. It's just here for a little time and then vanishes away. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't live for this life. Live for the next Lay up your treasure up there. But don't waste this life either. Because this life is the opportunity that God has given us to be able to serve Him and to live for Him. I want you to look back with me in the Old Testament because there's a quotation here from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. And I love seeing these Old Testament fulfillments coming place are coming to place or coming to pass. I can't talk this morning. Coming to pass in the New Testament. And here we see John the writer here of this gospel quoting from Zechariah 9:9 9, 9, to show the fulfillment that Christ was to these Old Testament promises. He says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion; shout, O daughter of Jerusalem; behold, thy king cometh unto thee." He is just in having salvation, lowly in riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus perfectly fulfilled this prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And John quotes from that for us. And because of that, he's telling us we don't have to be afraid. The one that Zechariah promised is completely fulfilled in Jesus so when you look at this situation why did the triumphant king have to die he's the fulfillment of the promise and his death is what gives us life when hard times come you can know that the prince of peace brings peace to you and to me it was only during peacetime in those days that a king would ride through his city on the back of a donkey. Because when the king was going to war, he would ride on a horse for speed and for strength. The donkey was not fast moving. Why, this is a king who's not worried about the enemy. Jesus was a king who came riding in on this donkey to fulfill this promise from the Old Testament. Yes. And it was a great picture to all the people that saw him. This is not a king who's concerned. This is a king who knows that he's already won because he's Jesus. What seemed like a paradox can be understood. Jesus is that triumphant King. But I would ask you this morning, do you have peace with Jesus? If Jesus were to come back today, would you be at peace with Him? Or is there sin standing between you and God? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can have peace with God this morning if you'll confess your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sin. He said that if you'll come to Him, He will in no wise cast you out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't wait. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. Say, well, I'll wait till tomorrow. Wait till next week. I've got a few more things I want to accomplish. There might be a young person here this morning. I'll follow God when I'm older. Serve Him now. Trust in Him today. He'll forgive you. He will save you. And He'll save you now. So we see the first paradox that the triumphant king had to be crucified. Number two, those who gathered to see a miracle would first see Him die. Remember I talked to you about Lazarus. That was the story that was being spread around. Boy, this guy, he just brought a man back from the grave. So everybody gathered around. What's he going to do now? What's he going to do? Well, what was he about to do? He's about to die. That didn't, that didn't really sit well. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem to fit. I mean, remember even on the night That he was brought to trial and later crucified as he's there in the garden with his disciples and he's trying to get them to pray and they keep falling asleep and all of that. What happened when the soldiers came and the guard came to arrest him and take him away? What did Peter do? Boy, he ripped out his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. We could say a lot about Peter in that situation, but I think here was a guy right, who just was trying to do whatever he could to protect his master and to fight back. He was waiting for Jesus to do something spectacular. But the spectacular thing that Jesus was about to do was not what they expected. They were looking for a miracle, but they would first see Him die. Now, three days later, the greatest miracle in all the world was going to take place as Jesus rose again from the grave. He came back to life. He's not in the grave anymore. He's not on the cross anymore He's at the right hand of God the Father. Look with me, if you would, at verses 17 through 19. Here in John chapter 12, it says, The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. They were all talking about it. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Everybody else came around. What's he going to do next? The Pharisees, therefore, said unto themselves, among themselves, these were the religious leaders, and they, they see all the people gathering around Jesus, and they said this, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. So There are a lot of different responses to Jesus. There was one group that was telling everybody else about what they had seen Jesus do. There's another group that came around excited to see if they would see Jesus do a miracle that day. And then there's the religious leaders off to the side. Going, mm, we're losing our power. We're losing our control because this guy, Jesus, the whole world's gone after him. Let me make a, just a side point here, but I think it's, it's, it's referenced in the text, and this is helpful for us. It is an honor to be a witness to God's working. These people had seen Jesus bring Lazarus back to life, and they they were bearing record. That's what the text tells us. They were telling everybody about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When you see God at work, you ought to share that with somebody else. Let your testimony be known in this world. If you have friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, and they don't know that Jesus has saved you from your sin, you ought to bear record. Go tell them about it. Be a witness to the work of God. It's an honor to be a witness to God's working, to see God blessing. And you know what happens when people see it and it gets People do begin to share it. I've seen many Christians, though, and, and been in many churches where nobody really wanted to share their faith. It's like they were almost embarrassed about it. I heard somebody say one time, well, I'd like to invite people to my church, but I kind of have to apologize to them ahead of time because, you know, if some of the people or this or that or this might happen or that. And I just want to know, So so what happens? People just don't invite anybody at all. Or perhaps you are here this morning and, you say, I know I've trusted in Jesus, but I'm not living for Him. And because I'm not, I'm kind of embarrassed about my faith and my own personal choices. And so perhaps you're not bearing witness because you don't really want anybody to look too closely at your own life this morning. These people were excited to bear witness of what Jesus had done. I think that ought to be a great example for us to follow as well. Your life is built to encourage someone, to help someone, to share the good news of Jesus and to tell them what God is doing because He is at work. You can be a witness to God in your life and through your life and through what you say and tell others about what God has done in your life. Some were witnessing, others were coming to see this one who had done this great work, they were waiting to see what he would do next. Well, this is true in our world today. There are many that love the gift more than they love the giver. They weren't following Jesus because of who he was. They were following Jesus because of what he did. They were following Jesus hoping that they might see something else exciting or see him do something for them. Everybody's looking for a free lunch. And Jesus had given out quite a few of those. And we're thankful for that. And I think we ought to help people with physical needs and all of that. But Jesus didn't come just to meet your physical needs. You have a much greater need than just a physical need this morning. But God does use those times of physical hurt and need in our lives to help to bring us to Him. But if we stop with just the physical and we miss the spiritual, we're missing out on what God is there to give. You didn't just get lucky. You're blessed. God is taking care of you. Don't just love the gift. Love the giver of the gift. Everything that we have comes from God. The same crowd that said Hosanna a few days later would say, us. we talked about the Pharisees briefly. I would point out this. God is, or I'm sorry, if you worship power, then Jesus is a problem. These Pharisees, they were about power and control. They used their religion to try to gain power over people. Nothing has changed, right? There are even churches that will hold up the Bible, right? And say we preach the truth, but it's really more about their control than about giving God control. I've said it many times, but I'll say it again. This is not my church. This is His church. This is God's church. It's not about our control. It's about His control. He is the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the head of the body the church. And we need to be very careful not just to say it, but to live like that's true as well. See, the Pharisees, they were about control, and it was frustrating to them because if you worship power, then Jesus is a problem. People will do more for love, though, than they will for fear. But I would point this out as well from here. God is always at work, even if you don't see it until later. God is always at work, even if you don't see it until later. As they saw Jesus riding in on this donkey, what's he doing? I mean, he just healed a guy, brought him back from the dead. Before that, he was feeding thousands of people with just loaves and fishes. Why is Jesus just riding around on a donkey now? Doesn't he have something better to do with his time? Have you ever thought about it that way? If Jesus had the power to heal sick people, then why didn't He heal all the sick people? If Jesus had the power to bring dead people back to life, why didn't He bring all the dead people back to life? To bring it into modern day, if God is so good and He's so powerful and He's so loving, why do all these bad things happen in the world? A lot of Christians struggling with those questions, yes. and it keeps us from a faithful testimony for God because we really kind of doubt deep down whether He really is and can do all the things that He says He does. See, God is always at work, even if you don't see it until later. There are going to be situations you see all around you. Maybe it's a sick person. Maybe it's a, a financial need. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. You say. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you, God, if you could do all these things, then why don't you do it this way? It probably didn't make sense seeing Jesus riding it on a donkey. But then when you go back to Zechariah 9 9, it makes a little bit more sense. When you see how Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise, it wouldn't make sense to Peter in the garden when he, Jesus is allowing himself to be arrested. Peter then denies Christ three times, and then Jesus dies. The only disciple who was there even with him at that point is, is John, who's there with Mary. The rest of them, they had gone into hiding. What God is doing does not always make sense to us. And if as Christians, we try to just step back, no, no, it's all it all makes sense. No, it doesn't always make sense. And you're probably going to turn more people away from the truth trying to just gloss over things rather than dig in and deal with some of these hard issues. What was Jesus doing? Well, it made a lot more sense than when He died, and then even more sense when He rose again three days later. And I believe it's that way in our world today. There's going to be a lot of things that we can't totally make sense of. What is God doing? Why doesn't He do this? Why hasn't He fixed that? Why does He allow all this stuff to go on? It didn't make sense to his own disciples at that time. But the Bible says later on, after Jesus was glorified, then it made sense. There's a song that says it this way. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunlight. We'll understand it all by and by. Right? It doesn't all make sense right now, but we can trust in a God who is good and in a God who always keeps His promises and a God who's in control and a God who has all power and a God who gave His own Son. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. A God who gave His Son to die for your sin and my sin. You can trust in a God like that and a God who's right now Preparing a place for you and me. As you look around, have you seen God do anything? Have you seen Him do a work in your life? The life of somebody else in our church? I can. That's why I get so excited. That's probably one of the reasons I'm so happy all the time. Because when I get discouraged, I just have to sit back and say, Wait a minute. Let's count our blessings and look at what God has done. God is always at work, even if you don't see it until later. You say, Pastor, you spent a lot of time on those first two paradoxes. And I'm looking at my notes, and there's five of them. Don't worry, we're moving along. You're listening well. I hope you're thinking. This is important truth. Number three, bearing fruit begins with death. The third, can we say, maybe paradox here in this passage, Jesus talks about Himself in verse 24. We'll get there in just a moment, but go back to verse 20. It says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now stop there for a second. Who was desiring to see Jesus? It was the these Greeks. I love the fact that we see Jesus already having a ministry to Gentiles even before he died and then rose again and ascended back up to heaven. You see this is not about a religion. This isn't the Jews' religion. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. There were certain Greeks that were trying to get to Jesus, and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We live in a world today, there are people searching for answers, looking for the one that can give hope. Yes, even looking for a Jesus. Let's introduce them to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who can save them from their sin. There's people hurting. There's people like these Greeks kind of outcast from the rest. They wouldn't have been able to come in close with the Jews to the temple to worship. They would have had to stay outside in the outer courts. They were looking for Jesus. Sometimes that's our world today. The people that are looking for Jesus aren't the ones who their life is all together and and things are going well. It's often those who are on the edges. Those who are on the fringes of society. Those who maybe are going through a struggle in their life. Those who don't have the connection or don't have the answers that they need. These Greeks were looking for Jesus, and they came to Philip. And so Philip and Andrew brought them to Jesus. And look at verse 23. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Bearing fruit begins with death. Jesus' death brings us life. We talk about paradoxes. How does life come out of death? Well, Jesus takes us out into the the wheat field to teach us a lesson, right? He says, except a corn of wheat. This is a little like seed, a, a little grain of wheat. If you'll plant it in the ground, it dies, cover it with dirt, it will bring forth more fruit. But on its own, that little kernel of wheat, it, it's not worth a whole lot. You could eat it, but it'd be gone. You could squish it under your foot, it'd go away. But if you'll plant it, it'll bring forth fruit. Jesus here is referring to himself. But in referring to himself, I think he also gives us a great example and a picture of what he wants us to be as well. See, Jesus was about to die. He's, he's told his disciples this over and over, and they still don't get it until later. But he's saying here, except a corn of wheat, a a little kernel, a little grain of wheat. If it's planted, if it dies, then it'll bring forth more fruit. That's what Jesus was about to do. But again, think about it. You're one of his disciples. You're there on that day and you're going, Jesus, why do you have to die? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, I have to die so that I can bring forth more fruit. And Christian, can I tell you this this morning? If you want to bring forth fruit, You need to die to yourself. God doesn't require everybody to die for the cause of Christ, but He wants every person living for Christ. Paul, writing his letter to the Romans, said in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You say, that sounds like a lot. To give my life as a sacrifice to the Lord, he says it's a reasonable service. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because Jesus died for you. Therefore, you can live for him. And through your life given to him, you say, well, I'm not much. I'm just, I'm just like a little gra- There's not much of me. God says, let me take that and plant it. Die to yourself, and I'll use you to bring forth much fruit. Jesus took us out to the wheat field to teach us a lesson here that His death brings life and that bearing fruit then begins with death. Number four, we see it in verse 25. Loving means losing. Hating means keeping. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 25 with me. It says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Jesus is continuing on here with these almost paradoxical statements. If you love your life, you'll lose your life? That doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, our world today says, love yourself. Love your, it's your life. You do with it what you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do, right? Jesus is going exactly opposite of that. He says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. What does He mean by that? Well, keep reading because I think it helps us here. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. In other words, this, if you live your life for this life, if you're just living just to get whatever you can get out of this life because you love yourself so much, you're going to lose your life. But here's the reality. Every single one of us is going to lose our life. He says, so what does he mean by that? We're all going to die someday. But if you'll live your life for Jesus, give Him control. So you don't love your life, live it for yourself. Instead, give your life to Him and live it for Him. He says, you'll keep your life, keep it for life eternal. Because it's not all about this life. But what's done in this life affects what happens to us for the rest of eternity. Loving means losing. If you're just loving, your, whatever I can get, whatever pleases me, whatever makes me feel good, however I can get ahead and build my program and my kingdom, you're going to end up losing it someday because everybody does. But if you'll say, God, whatever you give me, I'm going to use it for you. says you get to keep that. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Loving means losing. Hating means keeping. And then the final one this morning, found in verse 26. Service is the path to honor. Service is the path to honor. You have to go down to go up. Look at it with me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me... Him will my father honor. Again, not what we would think of being true. And again, how should we be living? Get everything you can get, even if you have to step on other people in the process. You go. It's your life. You live it. This statement was around for a while. It's kind of faded in in pop culture, but I remember when it became a really big thing. You only live once. Well, that's true, but what it misses out on is it's not just you live once, you're going to live forever somewhere, either in heaven with God for eternity or separated from Him in a horrible, awful place called hell. Don't live for this life, live for the next. If you want to be honored, you must you know right now where we're living i would say we're kind of in the middle right we've all been born that's why you're here even if you don't have a birth certificate you're alive right we we understand that i remember that you know going to the driver's license office why do i have to give them my birth certificate they know i'm alive i'm here right you know you've probably all had those thoughts but we're somewhere in the middle we're still alive you know life is not this life is not ended yet When you're in the middle, it's very helpful to know what's coming to be able to prepare yourself for it. We're all in the middle. Remember Jesus came in the first time on the back of a donkey bringing peace with God so that we could have the peace of God. As we finish up this time in God's Word this morning, I want you to look ahead with me to what's coming. We're in the middle, but what's coming? Look at Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Remember what Jesus wrote in the first time. Now look at what he's writing. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This doesn't even sound like the same person. It is the same person, but he's coming for a very different purpose. This hasn't happened yet. I want you to look ahead. You're in the middle. I want you to know what's coming. Because if you know what's coming, you can be prepared for it. A lot of people in this world don't know what's coming. We need to share with them what's coming so they can be prepared too. But you're here this morning. Some of you are watching online this morning. And it's my job to warn you about what's coming so that you can be prepared for it today. Look at verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. When he rode in on the donkey, they were crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us now. But he hadn't come with his sword that time. He came to die for them that time. But he's coming back again with his sword to smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Just because God is patient doesn't mean that you and I should take advantage of his patience. Instead, we ought to be grateful for His patience and then submit ourselves to His plan. The Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is patient, but there's coming a day when His patience will be replaced with His eternal judgment. We're in the middle. I want you to be prepared for what's coming. It says, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Let's read this last verse together, verse number 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of you know Him? Have you trusted in Him? Have you come to Him and said, God, I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. And I don't want to stand before you in judgment someday and face eternal separation from you in hell. I want to trust you as my Savior, I want a personal relationship with you. See, the first time he came to bring peace, the second time he comes to judge. Yes, we live in a world today where it doesn't all make sense. Seeming paradoxes. And yet there's coming a day when he will right all of the wrongs. When he will rule with his rod of iron. The question for you and me this morning is, Where will you be standing at that judgment? Will you be standing facing his wrath? Or you'll be standing there as a child of God, clothed, not in your righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would invite you to trust in him today. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Don't follow the Lord for me follow the Lord because He died for you and He loves you. Don't come here because you want to be a part of a religion. This isn't a religion. We're trying to have a relationship with Christ. Come to Him not because, well, i got to do everything just right. No, come to Him because He already did everything for you. And He can save you. And He'll save you now. And Christian, if you're here this morning, you say, well, I know him. I'm trusting in him. As the world gets darker and as things around you get confusing, continue to testify to the goodness and to the work of God and trust in him. And let's point everybody we can to Jesus because he is the answer. He is the king. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. Help us now as we have a time to respond. Lord, if your word goes forth, we know you take it out and and you can put it out in great power. But Lord, now it is our opportunity to respond. Some may have grown calloused to your word. Maybe there's some hard hearts this morning, minds that have been hardened by the problems and questions of this world. I pray that you would pierce through the darkness this morning with the great light of Christ. There's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you. I pray that they would trust you today. And Lord, for those who know you, that they would follow you in, in, in renewed commitment and obedience to your word. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.